Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Seven people were shot in Indianapolis. That was just one night. A 24-hour period. Seven people were shot. Was it two were dead? Is that it? Two, two were dead? And our city, Indianapolis, remained silent. Now, it's very possible. Where you're listening, you don't live in Indy. And so if there's a, a, a high murder rate in Indianapolis, you're like, yeah, but it doesn't affect me. You're in Fort Wayne listening on, on, on WoWo, or you're in South Bend listening on MNC. Yeah, that's Indianapolis. Indianapolis is not our whole life. I don't disagree with that, by the way. Indianapolis should not be your whole life. But what happens in the capital city matters and absolutely affects you because it is the top thing that people talk about when they talk about Indiana. So if you're talking about growing a state, that has an effect. Now, I'm about to engage this conversation knowing full well that the state just brought in 20,000 people. That's absolutely true. And they didn't go to downtown Indianapolis, did they? I mean, I would love to have that number. Did they go to the place that has over 250 murders? Did they go to the place where people are, are, are afraid to walk the streets at, at night? You bring in the NCAA tournament and you figure out a way to take all the homeless and put them you know, under the rug so nobody sees them. But they're still there. Because we have a homeless problem that we're not willing to address, just like we have a violence problem we're not willing to address. And so I bring these issues up again and again and again. And the same low-rent people on Twitter... Well, what are you just? What are you going to do about it? You're just complaining. All you've got is criticism. I'm asking the question: Where's the leadership? Don't you want to know the same? You mean you don't want to know? You don't want to know where your mayor is, where your governor is, where your city county council is, where your civic leaders are? Well, we have a murder rate through the roof that absolutely will have a reverberating effect around the state. Because if you don't, man, I. You have no idea how low class I think you are. And if you're in Fort Wayne or South Bend or Gary or Evansville or Terre Haute, you better damn well be paying attention to what's happening in Indianapolis. Because it has an effect on you. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you on Facebook. Tony Katz Radio. Everything at TonyKatz.com. I have made the argument for years that we need growth everywhere. Evansville needs to grow, and Terre Haute needs to grow, and Gary needs to grow, and South Bend needs to grow, and Fort Wayne needs to grow, because the more they grow, the more they can engage in competition with Indianapolis, and that's better for Indianapolis, because iron sharpens iron. You get better when you have to compete. I'm not just a capitalist because it sounds good. I'm a capitalist because I've seen the results and the value in these things. Competition is good. Monopoly of the state is bad. You know how I know this? 
Tesla, regardless of the subsidies, built a better electric car. Now everybody wants an electric car. And the BMV still sucks. Even though in Indiana it is clearly better, thank goodness, for Mitch Daniels. Remind me to tell the Mitch Daniels story. Holy cow. Oh, my gosh. Remind me to tell the Mitch Daniels story. This is insane. People angry with Mitch Daniels for being rational and quoting facts. It's the best. I I, I will get to it next. Competition is good. And I would rather that Indianapolis had competition from all these other cities. I think it would be better. But Indianapolis is suffering from a murder rate and from a, a, a leadership that doesn't care. I'm here to tell you that Joe Hogsett obviously doesn't care. He thinks throwing money at the problem is the way to solve the murder rate. And then you have the, the, the whole of the Democratic Party that wants to talk about the scourge of, it's always scourge or is it scourge? The scourge of gun violence. You think guns are the problem? Because if you do, you haven't thought about the problem at all. Or you're an ideologue that's just an anti-gun zealot, and you don't care about the problem. The problem is partly a prosecutor's office that doesn't prosecute crimes. Going easy on crime will lead to more crime. And that is for Ryan Mears to take right on the chin. I don't give a damn if he's happy. I care that the city prosecutes criminals. If you tell me you're not going to go after people who have a joint in their pocket, I'll tell you okay. You don't have to go after people who have a joint in their pocket. If you tell me you're not going to prosecute people who've engaged in armed robbery, I'm going to throw your ass out of office. Because there's a difference between the two, and Hoosiers get it. So you got to actually prosecute the crimes. It was the former chief, Troy Riggs, who explained this uh, most interesting phenomenon to me. He said, you will have the police do their job, and they, they've investigated the crime, they've made their arrest, and here's the case, and the prosecutor won't prosecute. Now what are they supposed to do? Guy gets let, let back out on the streets. That's an ugly, awful feeling. Now, I have no idea. I've met Ryan Mears once, the prosecutor, you know, in Marion County. Thought he was nice enough. I don't know if he's got if he's a Soros guy or 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 or, or not. But if you're not going to prosecute, you have to go. Secondly, we have an entire party. Remember, Indianapolis is run by the Democratic Party. The mayor is a Democrat. The city county council has 25 seats, and 20 of those are Democrat seats. And they believe the problem is guns. No, 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 no. The problem is culture. And you're going to say to me, oh, Tony, the problem is black people? Whoa. Who the hell said that? Not me. That was you. Or I should really say them. The problem is in many ways a culture that believes that if one is wrong, the only way to right that wrong is by killing them. What they believe in, how they have been taught to react, has to be changed. This isn't the way to react. This isn't the way to respond. You weren't wronged. It doesn't require killing somebody, shooting somebody, drive-bys where children get shot. 
maybe if there was more of a conversation about the value of life and there was more of a conversation about how to deal with uh, feeling that you were wronged, we would have less murders. Maybe we should accept the fact that throwing money at a problem doesn't solve the problem. Uh, the Democrats love their American Rescue Plan dollars. As a matter of fact, Indiana is saved because of the American Rescue Plan. The, the Whatever dollars they're throwing, the millions of dollars they're throwing, I think it's $15 million a year, I think that's it, they're throwing at, at, at crime prevention in Indianapolis. It's not about money. It's about leadership. To which the mayor, a Democrat, and the city county council, all Democrats, have none. Because they won't go into their districts and say, you're doing this wrong. We don't act like this. We can't survive like this. Oh, and if you know people shooting up your neighborhood and you're not willing to say they're shooting up my neighborhood, expect them to keep shooting up your neighborhood. Oh, you're not a snitch? Is that it? You think that's a code? It's not a code. It's crap. They're killing people where you live. That's not a code. What's wrong with you? No one says it. I've been saying it now for three years. Giving this advice. I had some people on Twitter. What do you propose besides criticism? Why don't you have any meaningful proposals? Uh, If you don't have one, then close your pie hole. Why isn't the same question asked? Where are your meaningful proposals to the city leaders? We got a lot of big names in Indianapolis. A lot of big corporations in Indianapolis, names on tops of buildings, and they've got nothing to say. Why not? Y'all had something to say about RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. That was under then-Governor Pence. I was opposed to RIFRA. I don't believe we need more uh, uh, government uh, to, to ensure people's you know, protections. We're protected. We have protection of, of uh, religion you know, and, and, and religious speech here. We have it in the Constitution. It's why I oppose all hate crimes legislation. Uh, I'm Jewish. I don't need any other protections. I'm not a special flower. Even when they try and, and take us hostage like it happened in Dallas, the answer is come armed. If they think everybody's armed, less people show up. You know what I've learned about crazy people? Not necessarily that crazy. Less crazy than you think. They know you're armed. They'll go somewhere else. Anybody who doesn't show up armed to their synagogue or their church is out of their damn head. You better go to services prepared to go home alive and to make sure your family does as well. That's just more proof that the Second Amendment is not the problem. Guns are not the problem. It's who deals with them. It's what mentality is moving them. That's the issue. But when I talk about RIFRA and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, let me say clearly, let me say clearly that it was the Indianapolis Star that put out the big, big front page, fix this now. You know what they say about the murder rate in Indianapolis? Nothing. The murder rate in Indianapolis in the silence of elected leaders and civic leaders is worse and far more damaging to Indiana than anything RIFRA did. If only because Riffer was damaging because there were people within the state who wanted to destroy the state because of it. Low class, low rent people who don't know how to deal with anything.
But yet when it comes to murder on murder on murder on murder, they're totally silent. They don't care. And that is the problem. A media apparatus that won't call out the mayor. A media apparatus that wonders where the governor is but doesn't ask the question. Where is the governor? The capital city is under siege. Nothing? And if you say to me, well, Tony, it's not that bad, at what moment do you say it is that bad? I want to know what your cutoff point is for when you say, holy crap, how many murders? 300? 400? How many murders must there be for you to say this isn't all right? What has to happen for you to realize we have to be proactive? But Governor Eric Holcomb is not proactive, and Mayor Joe Hogsett is not proactive, and the City County Council is not proactive. And the citizenry is just like, whatever. Whatever. It's, uh, it's ugly. It's ugly to watch. And I don't think that I can just simply sit by and say nothing. So I say this. If you check out the story at WIBC.com, seven shot, at least two dead in just 24 hours. That's not normal. That's not okay. If we're looking at this as Republicans and Democrats, we are doomed. I have got city leaders that say nothing. I've got I have five Republicans on the city county council. They don't stand up. They don't, they don't get angry. They don't get upset. I guess they just want to be invited to parties. Well, we have to work with these people. Well, first, you may want to expose what it is that's going on. You might want to engage what's happening. You might want to stand up for people's lives and for property rights. And force them who won't listen at all to come along. The silence from the elected officials, the silence silence from the civic leaders, the silence from, from constituents. Man, if you want to know what apathy looks like, this is it. And it's very hard to build a world-class city with apathy. So it's your moment, Fort Wayne, South Bend, Evansville, Terre Haute, Gary. Indy doesn't want it. It's yours for the taking. And if you do it, maybe it'll spur Indianapolis to action because competition is good. I'm Tony Katz. So a bunch of people out there are cheering Nike. They have sent a letter to employees saying they'll be fired by January 15th if they fail to get vaccinated against COVID. So, all right, so this has already happened, right? They're, they're, they're already gone. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Be sure to get the book, Let's Go Bourbon. It's available at Amazon.com. Perfect Valentine's gift. Nothing says I love you like a book about bourbon. Let's go bourbon. Amazon.com. It's going great. It's going huge because of you guys and greatly appreciate it. Let's go bourbon at Amazon. 
Well, the people over at Occupy Democrats love this. That's a Twitter feed. If you're a Democrat who is thankful to Nike for standing strong and announcing today that they will be firing all unvaccinated employees by January 15th, despite relentless Republican attacks on its company mandate, please retweet and follow our account for more breaking news. It's, it's, it's a strange, strange flex. First, I always thought it was the political left that hated uh, the big corporations. Secondly, this is Occupy Democrats. So now the Occupy movement, which are anti-capitalists, are cheering one of the largest corporations in the world. And the owner, according to Twitter, is worth $59 billion. Is that true? The owner of Nike is worth 59 Phil, whatever his name is? Phil Knight. Phil Knight, right? Yeah, Phil Knight. $59 billion? Dang. Dang, dang, dang. Add to this that Occupy Democrats, by favoring Nike, favor the slave labor that comes from the Uyghur Muslims and other in the Xinjiang province in China. So first, they're siding with the multi-billion dollar corporation. They're siding against the freedom of choice. And then they're siding with the communists over the people. Well, that's the only part that you could have expected. I mean, this tweet just sells itself. This is something. I had to uh, explain to my youngest uh, needed uh, sneakers. First of all, Holy crap, the, pi- the price of sneakers. It was a brand name. Can I say the brand name? Because, look, we didn't buy Nike anything. It doesn't mean that the other places aren't, other sneakers aren't being made in, in, in China, etc. And I do the best I can. I believe it was Adidas. I'm not sure where they were made because I didn't, I didn't check because we didn't think we were going to find them. 85 bucks for a pair of sneakers for a teenager. 85 bucks. Is that standard? Is that the norm for Adidas? Sam uh, is filling in for producer. All right, Sam, you buy sneakers, right? I do indeed. You're a man who has purchased maybe a pair or two of sneakers in your life? Yeah, I don't know if I'm the person you want to ask this question to, though. Why not? I typically drop, I'd say, about $110 on my shoes. Okay, oh, so this is a thing for you. Like, wait, what are you wearing right now? Uh, I'm wearing a pair of PG4s. The PG stands for Paul George because... You're, you are in Indiana and you're wearing Paul George sneakers? I think that the legacy he left for the Pacers is more important than the words he said after he left. Honestly, there's a place in hell for you, man. Oh. Damn! I tr- Oh, my hatred of Paul George huge look can i defend myself by saying if lance stevenson gets a sneaker i'll make the switch the next pace thank you to get a shoe lance stevenson should totally have a sneaker this goes without saying goes without saying all right so so you're spending big you're spending big so, so like do you have a pair of yeezys no, no no i only buy one pair a year or i really i'm gonna wear these until they completely wear out okay so you're not buying a collect you're buying a utilize oh yeah absolutely okay all right, now, 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 now I get it. Now it makes sense. Just thought eighty-five bucks is a lot, but you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just not thinking correctly. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. 
A 44-year-old British national taking four people hostage at this synagogue for 10 hours. Now that he has been identified as Malik Faisal Akram, there are actually two teenagers in the UK that have been detained for questioning. What was the purpose of the hostage situation? The releasing of Afia Siddiqui, a Pakistani neuroscientist. A neuroscientist who was convicted of trying to kill U.S. Army officers in Afghanistan. Engaged with cyanide. A history of anti-Zionist, meaning anti-Israel, commentary. Yet the FBI says that the hostage taker was specifically focused on an issue not directly connected to the Jewish community. No one believes that. No one even understands why the FBI would say such a thing. It's obvious and clear why a synagogue was targeted. When we go back to Atlanta, remember that guy who had gone to the massage parlors and was engaged in a horrific murder spree, and people screamed and yelled, this proves uh, that this was about going after Asians. There were multiple places in Atlanta that this person could have gone to and harmed a lot of people who were Asian. But we knew from the investigation that this is somebody who had sex on the mind 24-7 and thought these places were tempting him. In this situation, we know the woman in question. We know about her anti-Semitism. We have story after story, and he chose a synagogue. It really doesn't take much once you get the story together. Yet somehow the FBI and the president are still going down this road, and so did the, the, the White House press secretary. I think the real question here is, Exactly what should these places of worship be doing? How should they be handling these situations? How do you make yourself safer? And what is it like for a synagogue? What is it like for a rabbi? What is it like for for the diaspora Jews in America? When you have a press that just won't be honest about, here's what happened. Rabbi Ben Sendro joins us right now, CST Rabbi on Twitter, and full disclosure, not only Indiana's rabbi, but my rabbi as well, Congregation Share Tefila in Carmel, Indiana. And I, I did, I texted you, I sent you a text yesterday and say, is this something you want to comment on? You you want to talk about? You know something uh, about law enforcement, having been a police uh, chaplain before? And before we get to the ideas of safety and security, First, your thoughts on what took place uh, o- over the weekend and some of the response you've seen, whether it be from uh, politicos or, or the FBI or others, about not making claim there is no connection. Thank you for having me on, Tony. The claim that uh, this is not an obvious act of anti-Semitism is indefensible, and I, I cannot understand why the FBI or the president of the United States would take such a ridiculous and unsupportable position. Now, that is uh, that is what's been, been taken, and it seems, it, it, I shouldn't say seems, it is very clear. Uh, but when, when you see this happen, it is, is that to you a larger problem than the guy who's like, well, we got to get this woman out of jail. Let me go hold some Jews hostage and see what happens here. 
I'm sorry. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, it, uh, are, are the problems equatable? Making the claim uh-huh. that it's not anti-Semitism is a serious issue. Somebody going into a synagogue and taking people hostage is a serious issue. So, uh, which one, as as you see it, when you talk to your congregants, do you do you deal with first, or are they just independent of themselves? Well, no. I think uh, what we deal with first is the possibility of a hostage situation. Uh, how the government reacts is not something we can control um, and frankly doesn't uh, affect us in terms of our safety in the future. But to uh, deny that this is because of anti-Semitism would be a horrific mistake on the part of of any synagogue and... um, I think that what we have to do first is make sure our people are safe and understand that it can happen anywhere. It wasn't all that long ago you and I were discussing an anti-Semitic attack at our synagogue. Thank God it was only with spray paint. But there's no indication that would reassure me that these types of attacks are on the decline. They are not. They are on the increase. And as you and I have discussed in the past, I believe that we have to harden our target. Talking to Rabbi Ben Sendra of Congregation Chariot Tefillah in Carmel, Indiana's rabbi. Um, And full disclosure, my rabbi, I want to know your thoughts. What do you mean by hardening targets? How does that play out to you? We have to take steps that, um, frankly, we w- we prefer not to have to take. We want to be open. We want to be welcoming. We, you know, we want to have our doors wide open and, and then anyone who's looking for a place to pray should be able to come in. And that's the ideal. That's the ideal. But we're not living in, we're not living in an ideal world. So I believe that, uh, all sorts of steps need to be taken. And thank God our synagogue has already taken the vast majority of them in terms of upgrades in security systems. Uh, perhaps it's time to go back to having armed guards. Uh, maybe we should never have stopped that, but uh, we did for a while. Those are the kinds of things I'm talking about, Tony, things that institutions can do to make it more difficult for this sort of incident to take place. Uh, not that we want it to happen anywhere, but if someone is considering doing something and takes a look at Shari Tefila, I hope they would decide, let me find some place that might be a little bit easier. But but to, to further the, the, the point, you're not just referring to your synagogue, and you're not just referring to synagogues, as I know it. You're referring to places of worship across the spectrum. I am. I am. We've, we've had uh, these sorts of incidents happen in churches where there's been mass shootings. I think, you know, it, it's a sad commentary, but houses of worship, have to be on the defensive. And again, we don't want that. We want to be warm and open and welcoming, and we will be after 
we make sure that we can keep our people safe. That's the top priority in my mind. Talking to Rabbi Ben Sendra of Congregation Shari Tefillah in Carmel, Indiana. Full disclosure, my synagogue. Um, uh, real quickly, before I let you go, on, on that, the, the, the whole messaging. There's the messaging that we saw from media, and then there's the conversation you're having right now. Um, that, that conversation of, of safety and security, it does, it does hit people right in their soul. The idea, you mean I have to have you know, this kind of protection in my place of worship, just the conversation alone bothers people, just like a conversation from the FBI of not fully clear and clearly explaining what's going on bothers people and I believe should. When you speak to parishioners or, or uh, congregants and, and, and you see this conversation happening in other places where they're like, how can this be a place of worship if, if, if we're hardening our ourselves as a target? What is your response to them? My response is... Uh... I, I almost uh, I'm reluctant to invoke this, but my response is that the history of our people has taught us that we ignore anti-Semitism at our own peril. And sometimes that peril is at the peril of our lives. We cannot do that. I, I wish the world were different. The world is what it is. And to ignore that or, uh, to say that for whatever reason, these are isolated and rare incidents that we do not have to prepare for, I think is short-sighted and foolhardy. Annual open letter to the people of Purdue from Mitch Daniels. There are people angry about this. Mitch Daniels, former governor, could have been a presidential candidate, maybe in the future. He writes an open letter every year about what's going on in Purdue. Since 2013, he has been writing this letter. But people got angry this year. I'm going to share with you why. And then I'm going to be what could be described as potentially unkind to those people. Because if I despise anything at all, it is faux feminism. Being a feminist myself. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. I have no idea if I'm a feminist. I don't even know what it means anymore. Because there are women very angry that Mitch Daniels would ask the question, where are all the men? His letter, which you can find at Purdue.edu. And I should, full disclosure, I'm a fellow of the Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation. Right? I don't agree with my man Mitch on everything. But it is very clear that in a concept, a leadership concept, he has figured out how to make things happen, how to get people to follow a, a direction, regardless of party. That is solid. I appreciate those things. So the letter discusses when you take a look at severity of cases. Of COVID cases, I actually spoke with people about this on the show, uh, that those who have mild, very mild, or asymptomatic on COVID make up about 80-plus percent. Well, no, no, take that back. I did the math wrong. 95%-plus of the cases of COVID on campus. Only 3% 
are moderate, significant, or severe with COVID. He talks about leaving 2020 behind. He talks about enrollment. Fall of 2021, West Lafayette campus has 49,639 students, 37,000 undergrad, 11,000 graduate, and then some professional students on top of that. It's impressive. It ranks as a top 10 university, innovative, top public, best value, best university for engagement, most STEM majors, best college for veterans, best online learning school. Lots of accolades. Then it talks about the number of underrepresented students and how those numbers are, 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 they're working on getting those up, whether that be black students or Hispanic students. Or someone who might be two or more races. These are not the things I look at per se. Because I want them to accept students who are ready for the, 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 the Purdue experience. But people look at these things. Okay, they're going to play in that game and look at these things. Then he asks, where are all the men? If 2020 was the year when a search for value asserted itself, 2021 was the year when the nation finally discovered an issue long in plain view. It was an article from the Wall Street Journal. And they see, and they're looking at it, uh, a three to two disparity in women to men on college campuses. New York Times reporting, quote, the latest enrollment numbers for spring 2021 show a record gap between the sexes. According to, to Mitch Daniels, it dates back at least three decades. What was, the new, what was new was the dawning realization that in a knowledge economy where ec- educational credentials and the skill that they theoretically confer are more and more essential, leaving half the population behind would be a problem for society. The New York Times reporting, the simple mathematics of more women than men earning college degrees means that many highly educated women will either have to partner with less educated men or forgo partnership, resulting in a lower birth rate. This offends the feminist who cannot understand that a nation that doesn't have a growing birth rate is no longer a nation. The facts remain. Creating children matter. It matters, and it matters greatly. Creating children matters to a society that wants to grow. And no matter how much you want to not like it, women are the only ones that can have babies. Now, I think that there are plenty of educated men out there who don't go to a college because they no longer see the value in spending those dollars, and that's where I'd have the conversation with, with, with Mitch Daniels. He writes, how ironic if after a half a century of historic overdue progress integrating women fully into the nation's economic, social, and political life, we gave back the immense societal gains of that climb because men stopped holding up their end. And then it discusses things that we have already seen, that women are are interested in different subjects. Um, The STEM subjects are relatively predominant. Purdue, uh, uh, they tend to attract men, and women are upset by this. Women are upset by this. Mitch Daniels explains that we have and will extend a host of programs to recruit more women to these disciplines. As one example, our 26% female share of engineering students is among is one of the nation's highest. And he continues, I have sometimes observed that no one ever writes to express concern that we need more men in our 87% female veterinary medicine college or our 89% female nursing department or our 64% female college of pharmacy. 
It's the same reason you never hear screaming anybody. You never hear anybody screaming racism in the NFL that there aren't enough white running backs. Women are infuriated with Mitch Daniels for noting these issues, for noting some of the hypocrisy. Me, I'm thrilled that he did it. And the women who are upset with him, that's not feminism. That's weak. He's bringing up a subject of value, so discuss it. Don't get angry about it. Because there's something here worth discussing. I'm Tony Katz.